Welcome to the Agency Profit Podcast, a show dedicated to going deep space on agency operations, which is just as nerdy as it sounds. I'm your host, Marcel Petipoff. I'm the CEO of Parakeeto, a firm that helps digital and creative agencies measure and improve their profitability. Join me as I interview some of the smartest thought leaders and agency owners in our space and go deep into operations and metrics and all the other things you need to get right so you can spend less time worrying about operations and more time executing on your vision. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Agency Profit Podcast. I'm thrilled today to introduce you guys to a very smart man that I got to chat with a few months ago. We just kind of connected on the internet. I saw that he was in the agency space. We got on a call, and I think we could have spent all day just talking shop. Um, He is the agency whisperer. This is what he is referred to as in the industry. And he helps PR and marketing marketing agencies reach their goals and increase their efficiency. He became the CEO of townhall.com when he was in his early 20s. And since that time has built and sold several companies, both in tech, which I think is super cool, because that's, of course, the space that I'm in. And he started and sold several agencies and consultancies. And today, he spends his time educating and coaching and consulting with and speaking to agencies on how to get better. He has a podcast that he's been running since 2006 called the Agency Leadership Podcast. He's been featured in the New York Times and the Washington Post. He's a very brilliant man, and I'm very pleased to have him on the show today to discuss uh, some very important things that are going to help you be more profitable. So with all that, Mr. Chip Griffin, thanks so much for taking the time to be here. Marcel, it is absolutely great to be here, and, and I appreciate you reading that just as I wrote it so that I can actually <laughs> pretend to sound a little bit smart. Well, there's you're not going to be able to hide for very long, Chip, because I know when we jumped on a call, it was just like, man, I could talk to this guy all day long. And it wasn't just on agency stuff. You know, I'm running a startup, so you were able to give me all kinds of really great insights into that world, which you have a lot of experience in. And it was like, I almost felt like I was looking into the future. I was like, man, I hope I can be this guy when I grow up. So um, I'm <laughs> so, just So you're excited. saying I'm old, Marcel, right? You're saying I'm old. <laughs> I'm saying your experience, Chip. That's okay, the word I right. prefer to use to describe you. Um, so Excellent. I've given everyone, of course, a little bit of context, but I'd love to give you um, an opportunity to share share in your own words what it is that you do today um, and and who you serve. Sure, yeah, and, and I don't think I could say it any kinder than you said it, so I, instead I'll, I'll delve into a few of the additional facts uh, around what I do. And, and as you said, I, I've been fortunate enough to have built some successful businesses, and so I've, I've, I've made a lot of mistakes along the way, and I've had some good fortune along the way. And uh, so what I try to do now is share those experiences with agency owners and executives to try to help them run their businesses better. As you know, the agency community is filled with really creative people who are fantastic at client service, but a lot of them just don't have a lot of business experience. It's not something that they went to school for. It's not something that they trained for. And to the extent that they did learn it, it's probably just you know through the course of working in another agency. So what I do is I try to give them that practical business expertise so that instead of just being creative and, and solving problems for clients, they can actually build something that works for them. Uh, and generates the kinds of profits and the the kind of experience that they want to have as an owner. Now, of course, one of the first questions that I had when we spoke was, how did you go from building and selling, you know, several companies and having all that success in that world to doing what you do today and coaching other companies on how to do that? What made you want to get into that space and, and help others? 
Sure. Well, uh, frankly, part of it is I got smart because uh, I was giving away a lot of this advice for free. Uh, over time. And I still do, obviously, in, in podcasts like this and, and through my blog and, and website and things like that. But um, I spent a lot of time just talking with other agency owners about what my experiences have been and, and sort of allowing them to pick my brain. And uh, I, after I'd sold my last business and it was time for me to exit the, the acquiring company, I said, look, I said, what I really appreciate, what I really enjoy spending my time on are these business challenges in the agency world. And so I decided to pair up that pick your brain type thinking along with building an actual consultancy around that. And, you know, now I'm just about a year old now. And uh, fortunately, it's, it's been pretty successful. That's awesome. I can certainly associate with what you're saying. My dream is, of course, to become uh, an angel investor and to spend my time coaching basically my portfolio companies. Um, hopefully one day when I have enough free capital to have a portfolio of companies that I've <laughs> angel invested in. So I can but, certainly associate with it because this is fun to me sitting and having these kinds of conversations. Um, yeah, I, I can certainly see why you enjoy it so much and why you were pulled into it. Yeah, and, and and it's funny you mentioned angel investing because that's something I did uh, a while back as well. And it was – I had that same enjoyment out of being able to talk to a lot of different entrepreneurs and, and helping them to solve their challenges. Um, ultimately, I you know, I, I like what I'm doing now, frankly, a little bit better because you're not just having to, to bet on someone's individual financial success. I really try to work with owners to – build the kind of business they want. Not every business owner, agency owner is looking to generate as much cash as possible. A lot of them are looking to build a balanced lifestyle um, that, that provides them the funding that they need to do what they love to do. And, and so whatever kind of business they're trying to build is what I want to help them with. And of course, it must be nice that the check is coming your way as opposed to you paying them. Uh, that's that's certainly a probably a better equation uh, at well, the end of the it, day. <laughs> it doesn't hurt, although obviously the goal in angel investing is to make sure that it comes back to you several times yeah. over. And if not, then you probably need to get out of the angel yeah. space. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, we all know the risk profile on that. So Absolutely. to dig into kind of the main topic today, we talked about a lot of stuff the last time that we chatted. But one of the big things that stood out to me that we haven't really covered in depth on the show is around how to... To properly scope projects and create budgets and really set yourself up when you're creating, um, you know, a project plan with a client that sets you up for success and sets the client up for success because the industry has changed a lot. We're getting away from the billable hour. There's a lot more, you know, flat rate pricing. Um, there's a lot more value-based pricing. And so the cost of not hitting your budget is getting a lot higher uh, if we're operating in those models. So it becomes increasingly important to get really good at figuring out what's it going to take to deliver this thing that we want to deliver to our client and doing that on budget and on time. So um, this is an area that you have a ton of expertise in and I'm really excited to kind of dig into it. So on that note, what are some of the things that you see in the space people are doing that is often costing them a lot of money or causing them to uh, really go off the rails in projects? Um, and how can they start to address those things? Sure. So, uh, you know, it, your show is all about profitability, right? And that is that is key to any business, no matter what it is that you're trying to achieve, you've got to be profitable. And the ultimate building block of profitability is at the project level. And I think one of the mistakes that, that a lot of agencies make is that they look at top line profitability. They look at, you know, how much they're able to take out of the business and they say, okay, that's my profitability. And, and so maybe you try to adjust things big picture. But the reality is that the profitability of any agency is built on the backs of the individual building blocks, the projects for clients along the way. And so you really need to get that project budgeting 
correct if you want to have an overall profitable business. And so it's really, it's sitting down and taking the time before you even price a project to put together a budget and to figure out what is it going to cost you? Because as you said, that it's not just about the the actual dollars and cents, it's about coming up with the scope. And if you're putting together a budget, that will help you think about the scope and what you're going to actually deliver. Yeah, I think that's a super important point because I, I, I've i seen a lot of agencies that start doing value-based pricing or they start doing flat rates. And then, of course, they throw out their timesheets. They're thinking like, well, I don't need these anymore because I'm not billing the client for time. And then they abandon this idea of actually assessing like, yes, the, the client is willing to pay us $100,000 to build this website. But based on their expectations, can we actually still be profitable? And and there's still a function in terms of cost of how much time is this actually going to take us to do? Um, so to kind of dig deeper on that, at what point should an agency start to evaluate the cost aspect of uh, a project? At what point in that sales cycle should they start to have that conversation? And who should generally be involved in that conversation to make sure that the estimate is actually realistic and that all the stakeholders that, of course, are impacted um, by this work are going to have the right expectation set? Sure. Well, the, the glib answer is you need to do it before you give the client a price. And, <laughs> uh, and, and, and while that's glib, it's also true because, frankly, my experience is that a lot of agencies don't go about building a budget if they do until after they've already submitted the proposal and the scope and, and the price and, you know, have already got the contract in place. So you really need to have it in advance. And it's I'm not saying that, that you take the, the budget and price solely based on it, but the, the budget should be used to establish your floor. So if you put together a project budget, you can then know what is the minimum amount you can charge for this project in order to be profitable. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't charge more than that because you also want to charge for the value that you're delivering. And as you've noted, that's a very popular way to do agency pricing now. But you need to know what that that bottom line is that you just simply can't go below without generating a profit. Yeah, I think this is a really key point. And this is, to me, where a lot of the value in creating budgets comes into play is, is to allow you, especially if you have a full pipeline, if you're an agency that has a lot of chops with sales and, and you're at the position where you're able to turn away client work, it really kind of helps you um, have a nice filter and choose the things that are going to allow you to be successful and avoid some of the indigestion that can be caused when you pick the wrong work and have to now try and funnel it through your agency all the way to completion. Um, right. now, and, and, you, and you need to have the people who are going to be managing the project be part of this budgeting process, right? So, you know, going to your question as to, to who should be involved, this shouldn't be something that's done just by the, the biz dev team, whether that's the owner themselves or, you know, owner and uh, senior executive, or if you've actually got a salesperson of some sort in your agency, you need to make sure that the actual implementers are part of this budget because they may think of expenses that are not on your radar. And so that absolutely needs to be part of that budget in order to be accurate. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And, and this is something that we see all the time too, is different people based on what their incentives are or based on their context will have wildly different estimations as to how long it's going to take to get something done. I mean, the salesperson wants to underquote it most of the time because they want to close the deal. Sometimes the owner is, depending on their personality, maybe an optimistic person, maybe a pessimistic person. The developer that you ask uh, could be pessimistic. The creative director that you ask or the project manager uh, might have completely different perspectives. And so it's important to get um, those different ideas out on the table so that you can try to figure out, well, what is a reasonable expectation for this particular piece of work or this particular process that we're going through? Right. And, and you can't have a situation where you have the biz dev people put together the budget 
sign the deal and then hand it over to the implementation team and say, <laughs> good luck with this, right? Because, you know, they will immediately rebel. They will say, I didn't come up with these numbers. I don't know where you thought that I could do this in two hours. It's going to take me 20. They need to be part of that process because that way they have buy-in because ultimately the, the budget is, it's a starting point document, but you need to keep checking back on it as you're actually doing the client work. There needs to be accountability around it and you also need to learn from it so you can budget better for the next project. Well, that's the next thing that I want to get into, which is how do you effectively get better at scoping and creating budgets inside your agency? Because some of the pushback I get is, you know, we do these and they're wildly inaccurate and they're always wildly inaccurate. And when I start to dig deeper, there's usually a couple of really clear cut signs as to why those things are not improving over time. But from your perspective, what are some of the ways that we can create a process for actually getting more accurate budgets in our agency going forward? Yeah, so the the first thing to do is as you start creating these budgets, you need to make sure that you're checking back monthly with your project managers to see how you're performing against them because that will help you uncover, you know, what are the costs that you're missing? And, you know, a lot of times it'll come in labor. I mean, frankly, labor is is by far the largest expense for just about every agency out there. And so, you know, estimating your labor time is is a challenge and it's one that you need to to continually get feedback on in order to improve. The the second thing that you need to be doing, though, is you need to be um, making sure that you've got enough eyes on it that you're identifying those things that maybe you should be paying attention to. For example, one of the things that a lot of folks forget to put in a budget is travel costs related to uh, client work. And particularly as more agencies are virtual and more people are having clients who are not, you know, just a, a car to drive away, it's not uncommon for an agency to go visit a client maybe once or twice a year, maybe more. And if you're not factoring that into your budget, you can be way out of whack on what your profitability is for that. In fact, I was working with one agency not too long ago. They had a six-figure client and they're like, this is great. You know, it's a fantastic client. But then I started digging in and it turned out that they were spending fifteen dollars to $20,000 a year in travel because they were bringing people in from around the world to meet with them. And so all of a sudden you saw, you know, 10% or so of the revenue being eaten up just by travel costs. And so, you know, that's something that they weren't paying attention to, but they need to in order to make sure that they're pricing effectively. Yeah, what are some of the other things that you see um, happening often that eat a ton of the profitability out of a budget or out of a project um, that agencies should be watching out for when they're thinking about scoping? Yeah, so, um, you know, obviously, since staff is the, the biggest driver of expense, you know, one of the key things to look at there are, you know, who is actually working on a project. And a lot of times I see agencies forget to include senior staff time. So they, they spend a lot of time figuring out, okay, you know, here are the people who are going to be doing the writing or the coding or the design work, and they get them you know, pretty accurate, but they don't account for the fact that, you know, a, a vice president or an SVP or the owner are sitting in a weekly meeting on it. And they just, they're not accounting for that time. And that can be a significant expense for some of these projects. So while you want to make sure you're having senior hands and eyes on a project, you need to account for that in the budget if you're going to do that. Yeah, that's definitely a good one. Um, what are your thoughts on contingencies um, and con- contingency reserves based on people risks? So, you know, the seniority level or the, you know, level of experience that a person has, but then also on your experience as an agency, having done projects that are similar in the past and the level of risk associated with that. Yeah. So the first thing you need to do is you need to go into creating a budget and not be wildly optimistic about how quickly you can do things. <laughs> so you, you, you start there because that's that, that tends to be your first problem is that you're like, well, you know, in an ideal world, I can do this in two hours. Well, great. 
how often do you end up with an ideal world scenario? So let's put in a realistic estimate. But then, you know, building in some sort of a, a cushion is valuable and it, it will depend on the agency and the projects, how you want to do that. You, know, you may want to just do it by, you know, beefing up the, the labor hours on certain people. You may want to just do it as a, a total percentage. You may just do it by pricing the, the projects 10% higher than the floor. There's a lot of different ways that you can account for it. But just as if you were building a house, you, you assume that it's going to cost more than what your contractor first tells you. It's the same sort of thing in doing an agency project. You have to assume that they're going to be unforeseen costs, unforeseen time sinks that pop up along the way. And, and you want to make sure you've accounted for that in your initial budgeting. Yeah, I, I think we've got, I, I, should, I should know this, but I think a long time ago, I wrote a blog post on Parakeeto's blog um, talking about contingency reserves. And so if I can find that, I'll link it in the show notes. But I think that is a really important piece that um, folks tend to forget is like, you know, if you've done a website like the one the client is asking you to do a hundred times before and you're really, really clear on your estimates, then you're not going to have a big contingency. But if they're asking you for something bespoke that you've never done before, some kind of motion graphic or video background that you've never tried, and this is totally uncharted territory for you, then it's probably going to be a higher uh, contingency reserve. So it's really important to kind of think about the context of have we done this kind of thing before? And how much data do we have to tell us if our estimation is accurate or not? Um, and then coming back to what what you talked about, right? Having a cadence in place so you can look at how much time did it actually take us to do this versus what we thought it was going to take. And then being able to extract the why from that so that next time it comes up, you can reference that and say, oh, last time we thought it was going to take us this long to develop this thing, but we forgot to think about this important factor and it took three times longer than we expected. So we can make a better decision this time and and, be more accurate. yeah, and, and and one of the things that that goes into that too is the the culture of your agency and how strict you are to initial scopes of work and how, how well defined they are, how much you push back when someone wants to to move outside of it. And you know, frankly, there's a there's a wide range of, of agency approaches to this, and, and I'm not going to sit here and say that one is right or wrong. In general, there's a lot of over servicing that takes place. There's a lot of scope creep. So I would say, in general, there needs to be more of an effort by agencies to push back. But there are legitimate style differences. And so if you're an agency that tends to be a, a little bit more flexible with your clients, you need to build a larger contingency than someone who, you know, says, no, straight up, this is this is outside of scope, you're gonna need to pay for those extra two hours or three hours, or whatever. So, you know, you need to make sure that you're matching what you're actually doing with your clients with how you budget it. Absolutely. And one thing that I'm going to add here is that um, I think it's important to think about the way that you set up. Um, well, actually, to take another step back, I believe personally that it's really important to track time inside of an agency, especially if you bill on value or you bill flat prices, because it enables you to have insights like this, like, hey, we did a really great job of you know, estimating this part of the project, we did a really bad job of estimating that part of the project. Um, so I think we're on the same page with that one. And then that brings me to another point, which is the way that you structure your projects or deliverables or tasks within a time tracking software is important because it's like setting up your chart of accounts inside of your agency. Um, the way that that the way that you're tracking time and the the things that you're tracking time against allow you to more easily get insights. So if there's a specific part of the project that you think has a high level of risk, you may want to segment that out as a separate project inside your time tracking tool so you can actually assess that thing individually and get a really clear idea of how much time was invested. Because as you know, 
you know, if you just have that, the client and you're just billing all your time against the client, you'll get some insight at the higher level. But if you want to start to segment that by deliverable or by service line, it's a little bit harder to do that without having, you know, pretty precise uh, segmentation of your time tracking data. So something for everyone to consider when you're setting up your budgets, your time tracking should reflect the way that your budget is structured and should reflect the different items that you've estimated so you can actually reconcile those things against each other. Yeah, and, and look, if you're an agency and you're not tracking time, you are leaving money on the table and you are putting your business at risk because you, you just you really don't have an understanding of how you're deploying your most valuable resource, your time and your team's time. And so you absolutely have to have time tracking. The the trick is to 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 balance everything out. And so you need to make sure that your time tracking is Simple enough that people will actually comply with appropriately, but but complex enough, as you point out, that you can actually derive insights and improve your business from it. But you absolutely need to have time tracking. If you take nothing else away from this conversation, please make sure you have time tracking in place. Yeah, and I feel like this comes up in every episode, usually because I'm the one who's inserting it because I have like a I have a, certainly an agenda um, when it comes to that. Um, but yeah, it, it's. To your point, it's the largest variable expense in your business. It's what you're selling, no matter how you price it. And mm-hmm. it allows you to get insights out of your business that not only help you make more money, but protect your team's time. You know, if I miss scope a project by 400 hours, like the team has to work those 400 hours and they probably have right. to work them on evenings and weekends because we didn't account for that in the calendar that, that you know, we're just going to have to work all this extra time on this project. So that to me is probably the more important reason why it's, you know, we want to get good at scoping and it's to protect the team that we value so much. Um, and that increasingly has other opportunities and are, you know, not necessarily willing to put in the long hours that have traditionally been expected in the agency world. Right. Well, and, and that's the trick with time tracking, with budgeting, with any of these kinds of things. You need to make sure that your team understands why you're doing it, because the, the initial reaction of most employees when you start talking about time tracking or budgeting is, oh, you're looking over my shoulder. You're just trying to beat me up on this. It, and, and really, if you're doing it right, that's not what it's about. It's about learning about your business both in the terms of the time that you're investing and the money that you're spending so that you can resource appropriately, so that you can price appropriately, so that you can schedule appropriately. If you don't have the right information, there's no way to do that effectively. So you need to make sure your team understands why they're doing these things. And my experience is that the the more transparent you are with them about why you're doing it, the more likely they are to comply appropriately. Do you want some free resources to help you measure and improve your profitability? If you do, then I want to tell you about our agency profitability toolkit, which you can grab absolutely free in the show notes or by heading to parakeeto.com forward slash toolkit. It's packed with training videos, cheat sheets, templates, and all kinds of other great resources to help you start measuring and improving the essential metrics that are going to drive better profitability in your business. And it's helped thousands of other agencies around the world do the same. So I want to encourage you to go and grab a copy of that. And if you'd rather get in the fast lane and just have our team of experts guide you through the process of measuring and improving your profitability, then I want to encourage you to apply for a consultation at parakeeto.com. And with that, I want to thank you again for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the episode and I'll let you get back to it. I could not have said it better myself. It's funny, if anybody is listening and you you're, you have been a listener of the show, you've heard me say what he just said almost exactly <laughs> the same way, probably a half a dozen times. So there's a little, a single tear forming in my eyes. That was beautiful, Chip. Thank well, you thank for you, that. Thank you. I, thank you. I, I read it just as you wrote it for me. So, you know, I, I figured I'd return the favor on the intro. Uh. <laughs>
I love it. So um, beyond this, I mean, we, we talked a little bit about budgeting. We talked about some of the keys there, getting your team involved, making sure you do that before you give a price to the client. And then, of course, setting up your time tracking and reporting cadence so that you can have a feedback loop um, against your project estimates so that you can get better at scoping them accurately. So once the project kicks off, you know, of course, now we are at the mercy of all kinds of different forces in the agency world that may or may not cause scope creep. So what are some of the, um, you know, kind of hot tips that you have for agencies to try and reduce the amount of scope creep that they might encounter uh, once a project gets underway? Yeah, so just uh, one last thing on on uh, tracking time and things like that and, uh, before we move into scope creep, which is very important. But it's, it, you know, one of the most important things when you're putting together the budget and you're tracking time and those sorts of things is you're, you need to track costs not with a blended rate. And I know it's really popular in the agency world to charge clients a blended rate, and that's fine. But from a budgeting perspective, you need to make sure that you've got at least several bands. I'm not saying you need to go in and figure out each employee's individual cost and, and all that, but have at least three bands so that you can appropriately account for the different types of workers that you'll have on a project because it'll make a huge difference in your uh, pricing and profitability um, that way. So so if you want to make sure that you're not leaving money on the table, make sure you do that piece of it. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I, I do, I know we have a blog post on that on the website. We're writing another one actually right now. So I'll make sure to link those up in the show notes okay. as well. But last question actually on this is around um, gross profit margin targets for mm. agencies. I don't like talking about net profit on projects because I feel like it's a little ridiculous to try and track net profit on projects. It doesn't seem practical to me, but gross profit, I think is a, a, a nice thing to keep track of. What are some of the benchmarks that you um, like to look at with clients around gross profitability um, on a project level. Yeah. So, I mean, as, as a, as an overly simplistic rule of thumb, you know, what I suggest as far as creating your price floor is that you take your, your budgeted cost and you double it. So that would, that would imply a 50% gross margin. If you assume that you've got some contingency built in there, that means you're really shooting for more like a 40% gross margin at the end of the day, which is for most agencies, roughly appropriate. Do make sure that when you're calculating this, if you are the owner and you're a small agency, you're counting your own time huge area where agencies go awry and they say, oh, I've got, in fact, I was just talking to an agency not too long ago, they have 55% profitability. Wow, I, that's that's a pretty impressive agency. I'd, I'd love to own that business. Oh, but the, the owner wasn't accounting for any salary for themselves. Right. Well, so that so that doesn't work. So so forty percent gross margin is roughly where to look because if you if you assume that for most agencies overhead expenses are going to be roughly twenty percent, um, and like you, I, I agree that trying to trying to track a net profit margin on a project is a challenge. But that would that would then imply if you had a twenty percent overhead and a forty percent gross margin that you're ending up with a net of about 20%, which is really where you want to be targeting for most agencies as an overall business at a 20% margin. Yeah, that's consistent with, you know, some of the targets that I've I've seen. Generally, I, I see 50, 50 to 70% as kind of the target. And of course, it ends up slightly below that most of the time, because that's just the way things go with service work. Um, so yeah, that's great. And then um, and it depends one, on the specific type of agency, because agency, as you know, it, 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 it encounters a, a huge range of different types of agencies and the kinds of business that they're doing. If you're doing a lot of paid advertising, your margin structure is going to be very different than if you're, mm -hmm. you know, a social or PR agency. So there's, totally. there's a lot of factors that go into this. 
Yeah, I think at the end of the day, it comes down to the bottom line. And to your point, you know, like if you can shoot for 20, you know, if you can get to 25%, that's excellent profitability for an agency that's net, you know, and your gross margin is going to vary depending on what your team structure looks like. If you work with a lot of contractors, maybe you're going to have a lower gross margin, but your overhead's lower. Um, But if you have a bigger team, maybe you've got higher gross profit, but your overhead is higher. So in the end, it all kind of comes out on the wash at the bottom line, which is really the number that's important. Um, And at the project level, you know, just making sure that to your point, you're working back from what's the net margin that we need, what's the overhead that we have, um, and then what does that really factor into in terms of gross profit on projects so that when you're setting your scope for your budgets um, that you're, you know, make sure you're setting yourself up to hit that in the first place. That's an important one. Cool. That was good. That was good nerdy stuff. I like to get nerdy sometimes. Um, All right. So then let's talk about the scope preview. Let's talk about protecting that margin after we've created the scope. And we're like, this is how it's going to go. This is a pipe dream. How do we make sure that we actually get to the promised land and walk away with some extra money in the bank at the end of a project without letting it go off the rails? Right. So, you know, the, the, the best way to do it is to make sure that you're not setting your scope up at the beginning without enough information. And that's, that's a big mistake that a lot of agencies make. They're, they're in the conversation with a prospect. They're very excited about the possibility. The prospect's very excited. So we're all, we're all just excited. And, and we throw out a number and we throw out some broad brushstrokes of what the work is going to be. And, and all of a sudden we've got a signed contract and we're off to the races. Unfortunately, we haven't done a good job of scoping it from the get-go. So there's a couple of ways that you can approach this. One is just sort of slow things down and make sure that you're working through in more detail uh, with the client before they sign on the dotted line. Um, so that's certainly one approach, and, and it's it's one that some agencies use successfully. What I'm a bigger fan of, if possible, for agencies is to do paid discovery. So instead of jumping right in and saying, "Hey, you know, we're gonna we're gonna build you a new website, or we're gonna run this uh, PR campaign, or whatever," instead say, "Look, we're gonna spend a couple of days with you, and we're gonna come up with a plan, and we're gonna learn about your business, and we're gonna you know we're gonna give you something that you can act on, whether or not you hire us to continue doing the work. But that way, we'll learn more about the business. We're being compensated fairly for our time. We're not just, you know, throwing you a proposal and a bunch of ideas for free. Um, And so if you do that, then you're more likely to have an accurate scope of work because you've actually learned along the way what you need to be doing. I absolutely love that strategy. I feel like a lot of um, folks are insecure about the idea of doing paid discovery. They they don't feel like there's any value in it because they're not delivering creative. But um, I, I think there is a lot of value in helping the client at least get a project plan in place. And I love the way that you position that. We're going to give you something you can take action on whether you choose us or not. And that is the the thing is like the paid discovery actually has to have a deliverable at the end of it. But it's your expertise as a subject matter expert on here's how you should be thinking about implementing or executing this thing in your business that you want to get done um, from from a marketing or PR or whatever perspective. Um, And that does have value because then to your point, even if they decide not to work with you, you've been compensated fairly and you're not going to invest a whole bunch of time doing spec work in the, uh, in, in kind of that upfront portion of the process, which a lot of times can end up hurting your ability to manage scope creep and set the wrong expectations with the client from the get go. Right. Well, and, and for God's sakes, don't call it paid discovery. That's what you'd call it <laughs> internally. But, yeah. you, but you, you, but you frame it in terms of, you know, whether it's an audit or a plan or whatever, something that is communicating clearly to the, the client that they're getting something useful out of it. Because, you know, frankly, a lot of agencies lose business because they come in and they think they know the answers before they have any information. In fact, a number of years ago, I was part of a large agency pitch to a, a really big client and, we literally had about 
two minutes worth of summary from our contact at the business before we went in and had a half dozen of us presenting our, our capabilities. <laughs> and it was decided that we were not just going to present capabilities, we were going to present a solution to their problem off of two minutes of information and what we could Google about them. And that's just, shockingly, it didn't work. And it, it can't work because you, there's the likelihood that you can guess from the outside with no inside information whatsoever, it's just foolhardy. So you, you really need to have some sort of a process for gathering that information. And it's much better to do that if you can be compensated along the way. And if you're delivering some value to the client, they will typically be willing to pay for it. Yeah, absolutely. And and of course, this kind of comes back to, I think, um, your position in the market as well. Like this is much easier to do if you're selling from your heels and you have, you know, some expertise and some notoriety in the space and clients are seeking you out for your thought leadership. Um, and, and now you're in a position where you can kind of offer these kinds of services. But I would say that even if you are going through a traditional kind of RFP process where typically there's this very order taking kind of mentality that's going on between the agency and the client. This can be a way that to stand out from the other agencies in that process and say, look, we do things differently. This is how we get proven results for our clients. And this is how we work with our clients to make sure that they get the best results. Um, and this this is how we want to move forward. And it's funny, there's some research that shows that when you ask for a concession in the RFP process, you're actually more likely to win that deal because it helps you delineate yourself from the rest of the field. Yeah. And, and, you know, frankly, there's the other benefit of this is you you don't just learn so that you can put together a better solution. You learn about how they are as a client. And so if you're able to do paid discovery, you will learn, you know, how do they respond to you? How are they as far as giving you information that you need? Are they fast? Are they slow? Do they try to grab more than what you presented in your original promise to them? You know, these will all help you price and scope your projects more effectively or frankly, learn this really isn't a client that I want to have for the long term. So you, know, you can be out of it after providing them with a plan or an audit or something like that and, and you know, wash your hands and say, okay, you know, I, I'll help you find somebody, but I'm not your, I'm not your right. solution. So that way you avoid the, you know, the, the abusive client relationships that so many agencies dread. Well, that, and that's, that's an awesome insight too, right? This is like the way that I hire freelancers. I always say, I, I won't work with you until I work with you. So we do a test project first, right? And this is almost like doing a test project with your client to feel if they're going to be the right fit for you or not. Um, and I'm sure that there's some agencies listening that have a client or two that they wish <laughs> they could have fired after a paid discovery. Uh, and now they're stuck with them for a little while um, to pay the bills. So that, that of course is a, is a great insight as well. Yeah. And, and frankly, it's, it's one of the things that I do in, in my current business now. I've actually I've learned my own lesson. Uh, and so, you know, so I'll often work, you know, with a, a client on an audit or what I call an agency business checkup where it's just, you know, a, a half day or a day with them to, to figure out what their challenges are and give them some ideas as to how to move forward. And it gives me a better understanding of whether or not I can really help them because, you know, you, you never want to be in a situation with a client, whether you're an agency or a consultant or whomever, and you've made a promise that you can help only to find out somewhere along the way that you're really not the best fit, that you can't deliver exactly what they're looking for. And and then getting out of that is much more challenging. So better to find that out during a paid discovery project. And full transparency for everyone listening, I do exactly the same thing with my profitability audits. If you reach out to me for consulting, that's the first engagement. And uh, it's exactly how it works. And, it, and it's been working really well for me for all of those reasons also. Um, 
and, and at the end of the day, like I'm not doing it um, just to filter the client. Like I'm actually giving them something at the end that's valuable Absolutely. that provides them with insights that, you know, they otherwise wouldn't have had. So um, I think it's important just to remember that you have to come from a place of adding value, of course. Um, and then the rest, you know, it's, that's all just a positive byproduct. So that's well, like frankly, a great- you, you learn a lot too. It's, you know, it's, it's why I always encourage agency owners to take pick your brain meetings. You know, you, you need to make sure that people don't abuse them. But, you know, the, the consultants that I know or agencies that I know where they say, well, geez, you know, I'm not going to have coffee with you unless you pay me. Well, come on. You know, you, you're, yes, you're sharing valuable things with them, but you're also learning about, you know, it's market research. It's, it's getting your own brain moving on, on challenges and how you might be able to solve them, not just for that person, but for others. So, you know, make sure that you're treating all of your client and engagements is a learning experience for yourself in addition to delivering value to them. Yeah, I love it. So we've talked about a couple of really important things. We've talked about how to set up your scopes and how to go through that process so that you're setting yourself up for success and so that you've got, you know, at least what you believe is an accurate idea of how long it's going to take to do projects. We've talked about setting up a feedback loop so that that can get better over time, making sure that you're tracking the right things uh, and having the right conversations to improve your budgets. We've talked about how to set up your first engagement with the client or at least start your discovery process to make sure you have enough information to do that properly. Um, Beyond that, I'm sure there's lots of other reasons why scope creep happens. I mean, sometimes the client is just trying to pull as much out of you as they can. There's the, there's the, the, the death by a million cuts, I like to call it, or death by a million additions um, or a million straws put onto the camel's back where, oh, can you just do this? Can you just do that? Can you just do this? That adds up to several hours of extra work. Um, what are some of the other things that are really important, some of the core principles that are really important when it comes to managing that relationship with the client? Because um, I think that's where a lot of people tend to struggle, right, is having a backbone with a client that, that sometimes has a little too much power um, from an economic perspective in their business. What are some of the principles that, um, you know, you encourage your clients to implore to continually protect that relationship over the long term and protect the scope? Sure. Well, not surprisingly, it starts from the top down. And so if you're the the owner or the chief executive, you need to be thinking about, first of all, the kinds of clients that you're getting. And I don't just mean, you know, sort of their behavior, but how they stack up uh, against the rest of your client base. So most agencies have at least one whale client, someone who's, you know, 20, 25, 30%, maybe even more uh, of their annual revenue. And anytime you've got a whale client, those folks are, uh, they're ripe for over-servicing because, Everybody on the team knows what a big deal it is if they go away. So people will bend over backwards even more so than usual to give them whatever they want. So, you know, so you need to start there by thinking about how you're structuring your client base and making sure that you've got it's generally better to have a, a bunch of clients all in the same range than have, you know, small ones and big ones mixed together uh, because that that tends to create an imbalance. But you also, as, as, as an owner, you need to be creating a culture in which the team is comfortable with drawing the line with clients. And this is, you know, most of the over-servicing happens either one of two ways, either because the owner specifically directs it and says, I don't care, just do it. Or because the the individual line employee out of fear does it and just doesn't even bother to pass it up the line. And so that's obviously one of the values of time tracking. But frankly, time tracking is it's not a cure all here because some employees will fib, if you will, on those timesheets in order to to make sure that the pain isn't there. And I'll, I'll give you a specific example. When I was at a PR agency as a as a young pup back when I still had hair. Uh, back in the old days, uh, we had to do timesheets. But, but, you know, the largest client that we had, it was a whale client for the agency. And if the client asked for something that 
those of us junior people on the team would just do it because we knew that we were going to get yelled at by the client if we didn't. But we also had an agency owner saying, you can't have more than X number of hours per week for this client. So we would always report the max and just, you know, allocate the other to business, business development or, you know, the general administration or, you know, whatever, wherever we could hide it, if you will, so that we could keep the client happy and keep the boss happy. So you need to be creating a culture where people aren't going to do that. They're going to tell you accurately what it is and they're empowered to say to the client, look that, or at least come to you and say, Hey, the client's asking for more than what we had promised them. You know, we need to address it. And so if you haven't created that culture where it's okay to do that, you're going to be in trouble very quickly. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. And I see this all the time. And again, this is where a lot of the pushback on timesheets comes from. Well, they're not accurate. It's like, well, ask yourself why they're not accurate. What incentive are you creating for your team to not accurately fill out their timesheets? And do they really have an understanding of the purpose? Again, like, you know, and in this case, the purpose is clearly, well, we want to know what it actually takes to get results for this client so that we can do a better job of protecting your time. And clearly, you know, in your situation, the incentives from either side were not properly aligned to that. Um, And I'm also a big fan of in the beginning of that client relationship, like the power of, of going over, you know, a statement of work and having both parties sign it and then having that as an anchor point so that you can, when they make a request that is outside of the scope, um, you know, Jason Swank mentioned this one, which I thought was neat, was like even the power of doing a $0 change order where you say, okay, we're going to do this at no additional cost, but this is outside the scope of what we originally agreed to and constantly anchoring those conversations against this is what we originally agreed to. Here's your signature we did go over this, we did set expectations and we are going to make an exception here, but know that we're making an exception and reinforcing that with the client. Um, it, there's a lot of power in, I think, having those conversations and having some anchor points and expectations clearly set at the onset so that um, you can draw the line and, and it's not a surprise to them. Um, right. I think that's what ends up happening, right? Is you let so many little things slide and then one day you decide I need to draw the line and now it's a surprise for the client. But if they know right. every time that you made an exception for them, then it's less of a surprise when you say, hey, we've made four exceptions on this already. We're just not able to do this anymore without incurring additional costs. So let's talk about why this is important to you and how we can make it happen um, and add additional budget or whatever that looks like. Yeah, no, that, that's absolutely correct. And, and I love the $0 change order because you're, you're documenting those changes. You know, the, the only thing I would add is if you're, if you find yourself doing a ton of these, then you need to look at, you know, why, you didn't, why it wasn't scoped correctly from the get go, because it's, it's not unusual to have some out of scope, uh, things that you need to have for, for clients or projects. But if you're, if you're documenting these things daily, you probably didn't scope it very well from the beginning. And, and so you can learn from that in the future as far as how you want to, to be doing it. But you also, and and this is why, you know, you don't want to be in a situation where you're telling uh, team members, don't spend more than X hours on this client or spend at least X hours on this client, or you need to have at least X number of billable hours this week. Anytime that that as a a leader, you're giving that kind of guidance, you're going to get exactly what you asked for because people value job security. But that's where you tend to get the unreliable information. So you need to be encouraging people to report it just as it is. Because otherwise, you know, I mean, the other way that you end up with this over-servicing is you get a situation where that worker is underutilized, but they need to be able to show that they're yeah. doing client work. And so all of a sudden, they'll they'll spend six hours doing something for a client that should have taken them 30 minutes because 100%. they had that time available and they couldn't just sit there and play solitaire or, or I guess whatever it is that people play on their computers. Now, I've, I've dated myself <laughs> once again here because I don't think anybody plays solitaire on their computer anymore, but uh, you get the idea. No, but that's an absolutely 
great point. You know, it's like the, the, again, it's having the right expectations that with your team, making sure that they understand the purpose behind this and not coming down on them when they're not hitting metrics, but instead always approaching with the question of why, why did this happen? Why did we not have enough work for you to do? Why did you have to spend way more time than we thought it was going to take to do this for the client? Because at the end of the day, the purpose of all of this is learning. And I think that ties it all nicely together. The change orders, the time tracking, the scopes, the point of all of this is to learn how to create better systems in your business to become more efficient and to create processes that can scale, that can be repeatable, that can protect your margins, protect your team's time, and ultimately give you a business that is sustainable in the long term. Um, And isn't that what we all want at the end of the day, Chip? Yeah. It is. And ultimately, this all comes back to communication, right? I mean, it's, it, you know, it's, it's ironic that in an industry where, you know, th- these are all communications agencies of some sort or another, communication tends to be the, the place where things break down. You need to have good communication uh, amongst your team members, between yourself and your team members, between your agency and the client. And the more of this communication that you have, the, the more accurate your budgets are going to be, the more accurate your scopes of work are going to be. And hey, the better your profitability is going to be. Well, Chip, I think on that note, uh, it's a perfect time to segue into our, our outro. I really wish we could talk all day um, and maybe we'll have you back. I mean, I, I could, again, I just enjoy talking to you so much. You're such a smart dude and I really do appreciate you coming on the show. But Before we let you go, for all of those that are listening that think, hey, I need a little bit more of the agency whisperer in my life, where are some of the best places for them to follow you online and follow the content that you're creating? Uh, sure. So the, the first place to go would be theagencybiz.com. Uh, that's the, the website where I publish all sorts of free information, including a free guide to project budgeting that includes a, a nifty little Excel template that people can use to do these because I know that uh, it, one of the things that people struggle with, as we talked about, is the, the staff uh, budgeting. And so there's a, a neat little calculator that's built into it to make that easy. So that's available completely free at theagencybiz.com. Apart from that, people can find me online. Generally, I'm Chip Griffin on just about every social platform there is. Uh, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn, just including your note that you, you heard me on this show and I'll be happy to connect with you there. Awesome. So make sure you check out the show notes where I'll have that website as well as the free resources specifically around agency budgeted linked up. Uh, I'll also have Chip's podcast, which is a great one that you should be subscribed to the agency leadership podcast and of course his social media handle. So just check the show notes and you can go and find all of that stuff. So with that, Chip, Thanks so much for being on the show, man. Really enjoyed this. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you've ever found yourself thinking, man, I get so much value from this podcast. I wish there was something I could do to return the favor. Well, today's your lucky day because you can leave us a review wherever you're listening to this. And it is incredibly helpful. Of course, if you haven't grabbed a free copy of the Agency Profit Toolkit, go and get that. It's got tons of free resources to help you improve your profitability. If you're looking to get in the fast lane and get help from experts to improve your profitability and measure your most important metrics, then apply for a consultation at parakeeto.com. We'd love to chat with you and figure out how we can help. With all of that, thank you so much for being a listener, and we will see you on the next episode.
conversation.